You are listening to the Fraud Fighter Podcast, where we discuss forensic accounting in the anti-fraud and anti-money laundering industry. I am your host, Robert Nordlander, and this episode is going to be slightly different than the other 40-plus episodes that I have done previously. I want to speak to you just in a few minutes regarding something that I've come across multiple times as a CPA, whether as a criminal investigator or in the general public. And that is the difference between a civil tax audit and a criminal tax investigation. There is a huge difference between one and the other, even though the IRS is involved. I have a CPA license for over 25 years. I've been in public accounting. I've completed the tax returns, dealt with the IRS auditors and collection officers, uh, even taught accounting and tax law at a university. Later on, I went to the IRS criminal investigations as a special agent. So I've been on both sides. I have not worked in the civil division, but have worked with other people in the civil division, whether as a CPA in the public accounting or as a criminal investigator, a federal employee. Uh, I've worked with the civil side as well. But there is a big difference between a civil audit and a criminal tax investigation. And the purpose of this podcast episode is to discuss why a specialist is needed in a criminal tax investigation. It is a niche that very few people have the inside knowledge and expertise. In criminal tax, assets can be seized, prison time can be given by a judge, a person can lose their reputation, the stakes are extremely high for a defendant in a criminal tax investigation. And in my opinion, when attorneys are representing their clients, they need the best representation possible. And in some ways, the general public, where it's defendant or the lawyer representing them or maybe a family member, they just don't understand the positives that can come from a criminal tax, I call specialist in a sense. Um, so the general public, CPAs practicing even forensic accounting, do not fully grasp all this. And with a broad brush, people think that those who have IRS experience have the same experience. And the answer is not. The IRS is a large organization that one time was, I think it was 90,000 plus people back in its heyday, probably about a decade ago. And only a sliver of it, like 2%, were actually criminal investigators. The rest of the employees were civil in nature, which meant they dealt with the computers, they dealt with the collection activity, they dealt with the auditing, they dealt with processing the returns and making sure who gets audited and who doesn't get audited, those types of things. Well, in criminal tax, the question was whether or not someone should go to prison for their actions. And that was a specialty. Matter of fact, it takes six months of full training for an IRS special agent to go through before they even start their own first case. So they go through training for six months, learning all the ins and outs. And then after that, they probably have another year or two of mentoring, which is nowhere near what the civil auditors do. This is not to disparage the civil side at all. They have a job to do. But the point being is that because the stakes are high, it's federal court, the special agents have to make sure that constitutional rights are not 
um, violated, making sure things are done properly and making sure people are safe, even in enforcement actions, there is a big difference. So I'm just going to talk to you a little bit about the difference between a criminal tax audit and a criminal tax or civil tax audit and a criminal tax investigation. Well, the big difference between the two is the burden of proof. Well, what does that mean? Well, in a civil audit, someone says, you owe us, the IRS knocks on your door. Do you have a receipt for that? No, I do not have a receipt for that charity. They can say denied, and therefore you get assessed additional tax because you didn't have the proper documentation to back up that deduction. Or there's income that appears to have the source of income appears to have the characteristics of income, so therefore they say it's income. And it's up to you as a taxpayer to say, no, it's not. It's something else. The burden of proof is on the taxpayer. Well, in the criminal tax arena, it is totally different. The burden of proof is on the government. So everybody knows in trial that the proof is beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, that's pretty that's pretty simple. But the government has to show that this deduction was disallowed because it's personal nature, not business. They just can't get up there and say, oh, it's personal. They have to have a witness to say it's personal. They have to summarize things. They have to make sure the evidence is gathered properly. Civil, they don't have any of that stuff to deal with. And not only that, but during sentencing, once the person pleads guilty or is found guilty, the defendant will go through sentencing in federal court. In federal court, there is another burden of proof. It's called preponderance of the evidence, which is slightly less than proof beyond a reasonable doubt. But it's preponderance of the evidence. And many times the uh, hearsay rules are uh, suspended to where you can testify about things that, that, that you heard, but not, not necessarily participated about, but that's not really part of this, of this conversation right now. But a CPA who is just a CPA and a forensic accountant has to know the difference between the various burdens of proof on the taxpayer or on the government, depending on, depending on the circumstances. So just remember that income expenses are treated differently. Uh, you have to know what will pass to criminal trial hurdles just because you have a piece of paper that says this is income doesn't mean it gets introduced into the court system. And if the jury never hears the evidence, the evidence is never pondered by the jury. So therefore they, they're not allowed to even look at it. So they they can't take it into, into account when they find a person guilty or not guilty. There is a big difference. Civil doesn't have that problem. Civil doesn't go to court. Well, they do in uh, tax court, but that is, you're not going to see revenue officers and revenue agents in tax court. That's going to be more of a legal issue uh, with the um, with the IRS attorneys. But the, for the most part, what I'm trying to say is CPAs out there holding themselves as forensic accountants have to understand what the burden of proof is and what it takes to get things over certain hurdles, especially by the government. Because remember, the government has the burden of proof. Not only that, but the policies are different. A civil auditor or a civil revenue collection officer can go up and says, you owe us money, and they will leave a publication that explains your rights. That doesn't happen in criminal. 
tax investigations. In criminal tax investigations, especially when it comes to the first introduction to the defendant itself, there has to be read non-custodial rights. You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to this. You have the right to that. Sort of like an arrest, but it's a little slightly different. But there's also two tracks. One is administrative. People don't know that the IRS criminal investigators can actually go administratively and use the IRS powers in order to get documents and and get witnesses to be interviewed. That's called an admin case or administrative case. And in that in that situation, when a special agent does the initial interview, they have to read their rights to the taxpayer or to the defendant. That's required. But in a grand jury investigation where there's a federal prosecutor leading the charge, it's optional. The, the federal prosecutor can request that the agent not read the rights to the taxpayer. So that's that's one thing. But when it comes to civil, they don't have to read rights. They just drop a, drop a little pamphlet in your lap, and there you go, or nail it to the door. And that's how it works. Evidence gathering is also different. The rules of federal criminal procedures and evidence. How was the evidence obtained? Was this bank statement obtained from the bank? Or was this bank statement obtained from the girlfriend who's upset? Was this bank statement obtained from someone who broke and entered into a business and stole it and then turned it over? Civil doesn't care. Criminal investigators have to care um, because they have to be able to know how this evidence was obtained because it makes a difference going into court. Well, anybody with inside knowledge of how this works, especially when you're consulting with attorneys and with the defendants or the taxpayers, has to know these questions have to be asked. Okay, um, A civil employee acting as a forensic accountant is not going to know a lot of stuff. They don't have the experience to do so. So, like I said, if you can't get the evidence admitted in the court, the jury never sees it. In addition, the difference between civil and criminal is the internal documents. The internal documents that are used to determine how a case goes forward, who is reviewing it, who is actually approving certain things, is different from the civil side than the criminal side. On the criminal side, uh, there are what they consider um, workload reviews every quarter. You have to go in front of your boss, explain what you've done, what you're going to do, that type of thing. You have to have a diary that, frankly, every hour that you work has to be justifiable to something. You got to put time toward a case or time toward administrative duties, whatever it is. But there are the documents are different. So if a defendant is in court or and all these documents are dumped in the attorney's lap and they're going through it trying to figure out what the prosecutor has got and doesn't have when it comes to evidence, unless you have someone on the inside knowing exactly what documents should be there, you don't you just don't know. And some internal documents probably maybe could be missing. Not intentionally, but the government's supposed to turn everything over. And sometimes they just don't do it because it's been there's an oversight or there's maybe misunderstanding. Um, but there's something called a discovery process that after someone's indicted, that all the evidence is turned over to the defense. And many times 
I can just about guarantee you many times some of these documents that are turned over are not turned over to the defense, not because of any bad intent. It just doesn't happen. Like maybe some missing emails or missing texts, or um, it could be as simple as maybe there's a box of evidence that was not scanned in. And those types of things have to be addressed. And you have to know as a consultant to attorneys, what should be there and what shouldn't be there. So the internal documents are even different. And even CI focuses on certain transcripts or command codes on the IRS database. The IRS has a complete, huge database. And just like back in the old days, and if anybody remember DOS, you put in the command code, something pops up. Well, civil side has their own command codes that they typically use. CI also has some overlap about the command codes, but they also had their own that they just use and they use very well. Well, those things are different than what the civil side has. So even the internal documents and the transcripts that CI uses is different. The language that the IRS people use is different. I have actually been in meetings where I have sat in a room with a bunch of civil people and they are throwing out all these acronyms. I have no clue what they mean. And I've been working for the IRS for 15 years during this period of time. Had no idea what they're talking about. Yet, I can have a conversation with my coworkers, throw out a bunch of acronyms. They wouldn't know either. The point being is that a good consultant forensic accounting, helping in the defense or helping people out in the criminal tax world, has to know the language. They just have to know what's being said and what's, and believe me, when you use the word limb, L-E-M, civil side doesn't use that word, limb, but CI, tax, the criminal tax investigators use it all the time. Limb means law enforcement manual. It means, is this going to pass the muster when it comes to making a good quality case, particularly the loss amount? That's called limb. Privileges are different. Marital privileges exist, um, probably both civilly and for sure criminally. But a CPA who did the return or did some tax consulting for a taxpayer has some privileges that they don't have to discuss with the IRS. However, a CPA does not have any privileges when it comes to criminal matters. So that return preparer, that CPA... They are considered a witness, which is something else, too, because many times I've seen this where a defendant in a criminal tax investigation is all of a sudden talking to their CPA about getting documents and maybe brainstorming some ideas about how to uh, defeat the potential charge. And the answer is what you're dealing with now is a witness and any defendant should not be talking to a witness. They say, what's my CPA? Well, sorry, that's really a witness. A good attorney is going to sit there and say, get a different CPA now. Because anything that you say, a defendant says to the CPA, is not privileged. It's privileged if you talk to a marital situation. It's privileged with attorney-client privilege. It's a, uh, maybe a psychiatrist and a patient has a privilege. And in a confessionary setting, where you have a priest in a, uh, a parishioner talking in a confession setting, there is also a privilege, but the privileges uh, start getting more clear 
in a criminal situation. Just food for thought. And the characteristics of a good criminal case is also different. Civil does not care about your health, education, language barrier. Uh, they don't. Their job is to assess the tax and collect it. And the reason why the civil revenue officers are considered cold-hearted is because if they dealt with every story about why people can't pay their taxes, nobody would ever have their taxes. Uh, uh, no one would pay. No one. There's no way you could collect if you. So they just sit there and say, oh, "Too bad, too sad," then start collecting, which you know it goes to the territory. They have to be that way. Well, when it comes to a criminal tax matter, it's huge. Health is a big issue. Education's a big issue. Language barrier is a big issue. What civil actions have been taken is a big issue because this all goes with jury appeal. It also deals with whether or not this case is worthy of going in front of a judge and going in front of a jury because if someone is dying of brain cancer and has a six months uh, expectation to live, are you going to spend the next six months doing an investigation on this? No. Civil may do it because ultimately at the end of the day, if there is additional tax due and owing, then the estate owes the taxes and they can collect maybe later on. Well, criminal situation is you can't put a dead person in jail. And so this is how it works. Same thing with language barriers. Language barriers, civil side doesn't care. But when it comes to the proof beyond a reasonable doubt that a defendant intentionally violated criminal tax laws, well, language barriers does come into play. It really does. Something else to think about. Statute limitations is different. Civil typically go back three years for an audit. Um, when it comes to collections, it's, it's 10 years. Unfiled returns have no statute limitations. However, in the criminal realm, it's six years. Almost every single thing is six years. There's one exception, which would be a conspiracy, which is five years. But it's a six-year statute of limitations from the last affirmative act. Um, so the statute of limitations are even different in a criminal side versus a civil side. Venue. Civil side does not care about venue. They don't care if you lived in Las Vegas. They don't care if you lived in, let's say, you lived in Paris. You're living overseas. They don't care. They're going to do their audits. They're going to do collection, and they're going to try to get their money and assess the tax. That's understandable. Criminal tax has to care. Because remember, when there is a criminal case and there's an indictment, the juries upon your peers, and the peers have to be in a general area. Federal districts is how they separate it out. has to be in a general area. You can't have a case that is in Miami, Florida, and all of a sudden in, have a jury trial in California when there's no venue there. There's not. It has to be in the, in the area in which the crime was committed. So knowing even venue is going to be important because sometimes there could be split venues where some of the crime is in one state and some of the crimes in another state. So in addition, how to sell a case to close it. Sometimes the defendant knows that they're under investigation and they'll get an attorney immediately beforehand to find out what's going on and to get some type of representation. Well, attorneys should be able to go get a, I consider a criminal tax specialist and figure out what is going on and what is the best way to see if 
they can get the government to close the case before it gets to the stage of indictment and an arrest. Sometimes there's legitimate reasons for this. Sometimes the fact pattern is the person's guilty and it's going to happen. But on these areas where there is some wiggle room, maybe a misunderstanding. Remember the burden of proof on the government, not on the taxpayer. There's a misunderstanding of tax laws. Maybe there is a language barrier. Maybe there is a health issue. Maybe there's a medical issue. Maybe there is, I had a situation, one uh, situation where we were going to investigate someone and they were high on the autistic scale to where the government's going to say, no, we're not going to go after this person, try to put this person in prison for doing some, some something stupid, which I completely understand. Uh, so those matters have to have to be taken into consideration. And a good forensic accountant who's helping an attorney out understands what is needed for a good tax case and then how to sell a closure of a tax case. In the criminal tax world, we call it a disco, which means a discontinued case. Well, you got to learn how to close it. Who are the decision makers? Very important. Is it a the special agent in command, which is or in charge, excuse me, which is called a SAC or ASAC. Is it the um, director of field operations? Will be called the DFO. Is it going to be DOJ tax division? Who is going to be the decision makers in a certain process? In how do they decide on what cases should go forward? Well, a good forensic accountant who's on the front end helping an attorney should know how to sell a case to close it if it's potentially in the area where it needs to be closed and how to sell it. Um, Very, very, very important. Something else is different. Civil is different than criminal because of statutes. Criminal statutes have to be known by the forensic accountant, especially in criminal tax investigations. They just have to be known. How is the tax loss computed? For... Payroll taxes, the tax loss computation is different than it is for a regular tax evasion case or a false tax return case. It's completely different. But the person has to know that in order to help an attorney out, make good decisions. Civil is pretty straightforward with a taxpayer. The burden of proof is on the the, uh, taxpayer to prove this, to prove the deduction, um, or prove it's not income. However, criminal has a different standard. So... Even the criminal statutes have to be known extremely well. Um, in addition, about the tax loss, is also, is there an indirect or direct method? As far as I know, the civil side does not do indirect methods of proof. They Because the burden of proof is on the taxpayer, it's on, it's on the government. But in criminal tax investigations especially in trials, the tax loss is important because it generates, frankly, the sentencing at the end of the day. And uh, it also deals with jury appeal. Juries aren't going to put someone in tax, tax uh, in prison for a dollar. I don't think so. But for a million dollars, they, sh- they probably would. But how that tax loss is calculated based upon the assumptions that the government has made is huge. Now, for example, net worth method of proof expenditure method of proof, specific item method of proof, 
all these methods of proof take weeks and months to just learn if there is a criminal investigator involved. They have to go through training and learn how to, how to put all the facts together. And matter of fact, these methods of proof are actually blessed by the Supreme Court about how things are certain, how, how calculations sh- should be done. So these are the things that are very important in the difference between civil and criminal tax investigations. Something else. Intent. How is intent established? When we talk about intent, it's talking about criminal intent, not just a mistake. Civilly, if someone makes a mistake, the auditor comes in and makes an adjustment, and then there's a bill issued, and the taxpayer owes just more money. Sometimes that's just as simple as transposition of some numbers. Maybe there's a zero added by mistake. Maybe there's something left off. But those types of things do not show criminal intent. It's really just a mistake. And there is a difference between a mistake and criminal intent. But a forensic accounting helping an attorney in a criminal tax matter has to know intent and what sells to a jury and what doesn't sell to a jury. For example, intent would be a double set of books. Well, anybody who's got two set of books uh, probably has a, an intent problem because normally people do not have two sets of books. Why would you have two sets of books? It's sort of like also when a business has three or four businesses and they sell a simple product. Well, why is the selling of tires, let's give an example, need four or five different companies around the world just to sell tires in a, at a local shop? Well, sometimes the complexity of the case by itself can show intent. Lying to auditors and investigators years it's been going on has it been going on for one year or 10 years the amounts is this always a large amount that's a problem or it's a small amounts is there a cash lifestyle where someone intentionally does not want people to know what they're how they're spending their money is there ability for this a jury to understand is this a technical issue um, the irs is not going to have a criminal tax case on a depreciation problem where someone depreciates something over five years versus seven. No one's going to sit there and say, put this person, put this person in prison because they appreciated their car over seven years versus five or whatever the amount should be. I mean, or five versus seven, it's not going to happen. So even technical issues, uh, we're, they're not going to get into. So a forensic accountant's helping attorney has to know what intent looks like and what it doesn't look like. And most of intent is circumstantial. It shows the big picture. Rarely is there an email saying, I want to defraud the Internal Revenue Service. Please do this. The email probably does not exist. I have seen maybe one or two emails regarding this in my entire 20 plus year career as a criminal investigator with the IRS, almost all of it, 99% of it is what we consider circumstantial evidence, which means the years were so many years, the amounts were pretty significant. They lied to a, 
to the civil side when they were trying to collect the money. They lied to investigators. Uh, there was a cash lifestyle. They didn't deposit all the cash that they that they earned in their business. This was not a, just a mistake. There were two sets of books. There was the complexity of the case in general. Uh, a lot of the stuff shows a big picture of what criminal intent looks like. So the forensic accountant who's helping the attorney also needs to know about intent and what sells and what doesn't sell to a, to a jury. So those are the main things that are difference between civil and criminal. The burden of proof is different. The policies are different. The languages are different. The privileges are different. The internal documents are different. Evidence gathering is different. Even reading people's rights uh, could potentially be is is really different in a, in a civil and criminal situation. The statute limitations are different. The venue's different. The criminal statutes of what makes a crime is different. The intent is different. So. Just food for thought, when you read an article about a tax crime in the news, there is a lot that goes into that from a criminal investigator standpoint, because the burden of proof is on the government to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that these crimes that these crimes happen. And then when it comes to the sentencing phase, the burden of proof is, is preponderance of the evidence. In the civil side of in in the uh, sentencing phase of of the items, where the judge gets to hear a lot more evidence, and a forensic accountant needs to know what that could be entail that would help their client and their case, because the evidence is is the, the proof of evidence is different than it would be in a trial by by a jury. So, I hope this helps. And next time you pick up a case or hear about a case that you understand that there is a big difference between a civil audit, a civil problem, and a criminal tax problem. Thank you very much for listening. Good luck out there.